when the homo sapien brain evolved into the new cortex brain, the mind fell in love with itself and created the ego. Failing. 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 I know. We talk about failure. Some battles you feel like you lost. And survival. Some battles you feel like you win. It's tough. I had to make some tough decisions. We've all faced failure, but what steps do we take to launch ourselves into success? I'm Sarah Brown. There is life. A blessing. Achieve your dream. And then what we do with it. And this is Failing Forward. So we are back by popular demand with my, he will hate when I say this, guru, uh, <laughs> sensei, teacher, oh mentor, yeah. Stephen Campman, everybody. <laughs> it's our take two. Oh my God. Wow. <laughs> I'm feeling the weight of responsibility now. Um, it's great to be, it's, well, it's great to be back, actually. I had fun the last time we did this. It was amazing. And it, uh, it was a game changer for me. So what I thought would be really cool for our listeners is for us to talk more about the dreams course and those six kind of your six pillars. How do I, what do I call mm -hmm. those and what those are? Yeah. Six positive reminders, reminders of some sort. Uh, yeah, that'd be, that'd be fun to uh, discuss that because that really is a major part of the course kind of as we move to the end of the course, those six come into play big time. So you, you, the whole point of, of the dreams course is for each individual to do work on their inner self, their inner world, right? Yes. The, uh, the idea of the course directly is most people figure out their happiness by what's going on in their external world. But as we can see, we live in a very uh, difficult, challenging <laughs> world out there that can bring a lot of uh, confusion and that sort of thing. So the idea of the course is come on inside your inner world, discover it, and start following it out into the external world. Make sense? Yes. And... I can't tell you how many articles I've been reading and people that I've been talking to and they've been saying, you know what, Sarah, you know what the gift of COVID for me was? It was self-discovery. And I think people who are conscious, right, who yeah. are open to that inner world are the ones that are saying that. Or maybe people, maybe it was an awakening for others because it forced us to think about what's important. Definitely. And I think it's, uh, I think it's had that impact because it literally made people not able to leave their homes and get out and be distracted. It forced them, not everyone, but it forced a number of people to kind of withdraw a little bit and reflect more than they normally would. Stephen, uh, if, yeah. if young were alive today, what do you think, and this is, this is a riffing question with you, but if Young were alive today, what do you think he would, um, what do you think his interpretation of COVID would be around self-discovery? 
I think he would just see that COVID has a positive side to it, that it's a door opener if it's looked at the wrong way, not for all the people that died and their families, but it forced people to stop. And he would be in favor of people stopping and <laughs> taking a little look at their lives and see, is this the direction I want to continue going on or do I have to? Uh, that kind of thing. You know, I was just thinking that maybe what would be helpful in a way in, a, in as our conversation is I can take you through actually what the, we do in the course. And then if you have a question about that, we could, uh, we can stop and chat. So it has a certain structure. You went through this because I did it with you. The first thing I do is about an hour interview and it's about 20 questions and it's conversation and it's a way that I get to know you. I love one-on-one. -on -one. It's just so great. Uh, so prefer that over group. And you get to know me a little bit because I tell you about the course a little bit. And then um, we discuss some more. And when we come to the end, I usually uh, work on a dream with them, give them an idea what that's like. And then I always say at the end, um, I want you to think about this overnight. And if this is for you, then um, let's begin. I have a good feeling about you. If I'm not as sure about that, I won't say anything. Yeah. But um, the bottom line is uh, that's the moment that I kind of have a good idea of how this uh, relationship can develop. So when you ask them about the dream, are you asking them, a, are you guys talking about a dream that they have or a dream that yeah. they're striving for? Yeah, I think that's an important distinction. The dream you strive for are external. Then we get that. You want to become a doctor. You want to become an artist. You want to become a filmmaker, whatever that may be. Uh, and in, in the course, this is uh, directly discussing their actual dream. It's an interpretation of a dream they have. But that's a very important part of the course. I don't just take anyone. I need to take someone that's kind of fed up in the direction of their life or they, they have an issue going on, they want to deal with it, and they end up being, you know, inspiring me as much as I hope I'm inspiring them. So that's, it's, you need the right person who is open to that kind of exploration. Yeah, because it's not for the faint of heart. Let me tell you. <laughs> Our conversations. Well, the biggest thing that happens in all of us, and I have a name for that voice for me, it's called Randy Resistant. It's just we resist change, even if we're miserable, by the way. <laughs> we still got to hang on, because at least I know what it is. <laughs> oh, my God. So that's a process. But after we start, when we start, I send a thing called the Dreams Pamphlet. It's about 30 pages I've put together over the years of teaching. And it's kind of an overview of dreams, how they work in the brain, the cycles that they go in, when do dreams first be, uh, when what culture first kind of respected dreams, like back in Egypt and Babylonia. Okay, tell us that. Wait, tell that. Tell that story. Well, I think in Egypt, the god was Serapis, and it was a, it was a dream. Of, it was the goddess of dream. It was the uh, dream teller to the pharaohs. 
and uh, and generally speaking, that was the style of uh, of the green gods. Their job generally was to communicate with the power people <laughs> to let them know what the future was, and that all changed, of course, in 1901 with Freud, who wrote the interpretation of dreams. Actually, I think it was 1900. And that's where he suddenly democratized dreams. You know, suddenly your dreams and my dreams are as valuable as the prince and king and monarchs. And that made him a fairly significant player in the 20th century because all therapy has come from that basic concept. Yeah. Yeah. But then it changed, right? Because... Well, maybe not. I well, mean, Freud was so sexual the, to me, I feel like. Yeah, and, I'll t- and I, you know, this, I don't want to be pedantic about it, but basically Freud lived in the Victorian age where women had about 17 layers of clothing on. So the no man, we'd have to go on a journey to have sex with her. Um, you know, like I set out at the petticoats <laughs> and the corset, the corset set me back for a week. I mean, so uh, nowadays, it's really, I mean, come on, nowadays. Oh, my uh, God. Nowadays. Yeah. Yeah. There's no, there's no, there's no petticoat. No, there's no petticoat. There's no petticoat. I mean, the idea of a petticoat is so disgusting. (laughs) So that brings on other problems. But my point was that Freud lived in a time where there was tremendous sexual repression and then he, uh, so he made dreams, wish fulfillments, and sexual repression. But that's that's a culture. But this is why I fell in love with Carl Jung because he was uh, Freud's main disciple, and he kind of went, "No, I think dreams are got a spiritual quality. I think dreams have uh, kind of uh, a, have a bigger have a bigger kind of." Uh, definition than you're giving them. And that turned into the two men falling apart and Jung created analytical psychology and then he created all the archetypes and all the rest. And I responded to him because my brother Bobby was uh, introduced me to Freud and Carl Jung. And I fell in love with Jung and my brother stayed with Freud. But I, I thought Jung was a much bigger, he had a bigger tent. So, so the... The way that I don't know if you in our many conversations, I don't I think the way that you describe to me dreams is that they can have spiritual nature, but it's also the brain. It's we're trying to process things, right? Because you said Yeah. When we go to bed, the brain doesn't turn off. Correct. Yeah. And uh, the brain is kind of uh, doing maintenance work. I compare it to like a maintenance worker in an office building cleaning out the garbage to make room for the for the next day. And the brain is also turning short-term memory into long-term memory. And it's doing many other aspects. It's not a it's not a you can't pin it down, nor should you pin it down. But in the course I choose to approach interpreting dreams through a Jungian bent and use simplifying it by having five basic terms the dreamers learn. And so they can learn to recognize their own different parts of themselves when they wake up in the morning and don't need to call the likes of me. Okay. All right. So that's, so what are those terms? The terms yeah, we haven't gone through those. The, okay. So that's in the, that's in the pan. The first meeting is the pamphlet. 
Adrian, they read it, get the history. Then we go, I give them a little quiz and we go over what is REM, what, when did Freud write his book? So that's new because I didn't do that before. And I thought, I want to do that. I did it. I think you and I did it. No, uh, I got out of it. I got out of it. Oh, you got out. That's right. You got out of it. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no. I, no. I didn't want the quiz. Uh, no, I'm not going to say publicly how difficult you are. No, I'm not going to do that. <laughs> Wait, um, hold on. Hold on. <laughs> Listeners, I just have to tell you something funny. So if you notice, Stephen can easily um, riff on some things. And he sent me a video that I maybe want if I can share. It's him and Martin Short doing a, uh, what do you call that? What were you guys, what is that? Well, we were in, improvising a scene where I had was trying to convince the head of Orion Pictures that Marty could play a 10-year-old. And I was playing the role of the Charles Grodin eventually did. And this is this is so amazing to me because, believe it or not, this movie, <laughs> I have nothing to do with it, has turned in a small cult. It has like a cult. I don't uh, know what like the movie was. Called well Clifford. And it was really just like, there was a movie that, always made me laugh, called The Bad Seed. And it was just kind of an evil child with pigtails. And, and Marty and I always found evil children funny. That's, that's all I can say to you. I just, you know, children that are manipulative. So if you look at that, if you look at the, uh, at the film test, Marty is continuously testing me. Oh, my God. I just find, and I just find that funny. He is so hilarious. He's hilarious. Did you want to giggle in any of those parts or no? You were totally in character. No, I was I was totally he and I remember had performed on stage in Toronto for two years. So we were very comfortable with one another. And we just said, let's just improvise this and I'll play I'm playing the role of uh the Charles Grodin role. And uh, I knew I knew how to play it. I wrote it, so I knew with Will Otis, we uh my co-writer. So I knew what to do, and uh, and and the test was just to prove to the 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 folks, the executives said Orion that Marty at age forty something could play a ten year old. And he and literally he he literally was so good in it. Listeners, we'll put that in there. It's an amazing. Okay. Anyway. So so dream the different types of dreams. All right. So. So we go through the pamphlet, we come to the five terms, which are animus, anima, shadow, self, individuation. And then I throw in is kind of a bonus, but it's, it's synchronicity. But I'll, I can explain that as we go down. Those are, the, those are the five main ones plus synchronicity are our focus for the language for us to understand dreams. So I think let's just focus on two because the two, it's okay. interesting because okay. this is one of the things that I wanted to talk to you about. So can we talk about anima and animus? And then I'll share how you helped me yeah. with that and how I've been using it. It's a very interesting thing because I work a lot with uh, more women than men, uh, which is interesting by itself because I think my experience has been there. Women are more open uh, in some ways to new things and men are a little bit more resistant. So that's a generalization, but it's generally, generally it has some truth in it. The anima, the anima and animus, you're a female. You have a male component of yourself. If you just do the bio, 
the chemistry of our lives. And that male's part of you, which is uh, invisible, it's you're a female, you're an anima, I mean, you're a capital A anima, female. But you have a male component called the animus. Where do we see this? We see this in wedding ceremonies, where people, the female and a male, are brought together to unionize, to be one. And so that's a symbol for this is the female counterpart and this is the male counterpart. What I've discovered is the animus on very put together women, smart, good jobs, everything you would want. But the one ingredient that I found in my course is their animus, their male self, isn't as strong in them as you would expect it to be, which is no surprise given the repression of female cultures all around the world for centuries. So it's not organic. It's not like you come into life and you're soon going to develop a strong animus, which comes from generally the influences, the male influences from your childhood. So give, it, give some descriptive words of animus. Decisive. Um, analytical. Um, leadership. And here's the biggest. Confident. Confident. When you walk into in a room and someone walks into the room, I mean, and you see someone who's got their animus put together, combined with their femaleness self, they draw attention to themselves. They they radiate something. They radiate uh, power. Yeah. So, what about the? Give me some descriptors of the anima. Anima, I, which is the female component of the male. Um, I, my biggest word I'll put on it is creativity, connection to nature, open to their feelings, uh, expressive of their feelings, um, developed sense of humor, uh, all sorts of quality, nurturing. Now, are they as nurturing as others? No, but they have the capacity to nourish. The idea is we're trying to take the strength of the, uh, to be a strong female or male, and couple it with a strong animus or anima. Right. And uh, I would say it's a generalization that, that most men are, have no connection to their anima, and, and it's very hard for them to give in to it. Give me, give me an example. One of our students at Blair Academy, where uh, Judith and I ta taught, was a great wrestler, great wrestler. But in the spring, he wanted to go out for the play. And this caused a lot of angst for the other wrestlers mm -hmm. because he was daring not to be the macho wrestler. He was reaching out and saying, I'm a wrestler and I'm also an actor. I have a creative self and I have this other. And he ended up, uh, when he left Blair, being very involved in a lot of uh, progressive movements and leadership position. He showed it. That's a man with an anima. A man who's being creative, not afraid of his feelings, not afraid to express them. Um, so the next step for me, if it's a female, is to send 18 quotes that are written by females that are strong, animus quotes, uh, which I don't have right in front of me. That's all right. But I, so I can teach, I can speak to this. So I, you sent them to me 
and yeah. you have to listeners you have to memorize these quotes uh and can i tell you how it helped me i mean it's helped me in so many ways and i've actually shared this with so many women and i and it was it's mostly around the thoughts in your head and this is another thing that you taught me too like when you said um resistant randy so yeah. i say strong sarah and that's my animus right that's like right. if yeah. i'm yeah. if i'm if i'm having doubts in my head and i'm perseverating on a thought i'm like no stop this thought that is not serving mm. you and that's just fear talking nothing more than that and so i'm Correct. trying to elicit that strength and that confidence <laughs> that you mentioned um and it's really, it really has helped. And I, and this is, this will be a little vulnerable, but that's okay. You know, my listeners know that, that I got a divorce, right? And talking to Dave was, it was a habit for me, right? Like if I had a hard day at work, I'd want to call him. And the other day I wanted to call him so badly, Stephen. And I actually woke up wanting to call him and it was no. I pulled, I pulled forth my animus and I was like, no, this is not going to serve you. It's not going to help you. It's not going to help him. You have to stop. And I attribute that wow. to, to you. Well, you, and I, and I've sensed that in you from the beginning, you have such a huge potential. You're at, you have animus. And so it's a little different and you're kind of ahead of the game on that. And that can only keep growing for you and as you as that grows you almost as it grows you couple it with your other female self and that's power that's real power and that's an inner power that's not because you were successful you are successful at what you do and i've i've been successful in what i do in general and so we're not talking about that kind of i'm not talking about earned x number of dollars and got this and i've have five new cars and that we're talking about an inner confidence of being on the planet earth and trying to figure out what our true powerful mission is while we're here. And you can't do that if you are cut off from the inner parts of yourself. So when you open the door to your animus and realize it's there to protect your vulnerability, which it did, by the way, it did that exactly what you said, because you went, no, you're not going to make yourself vulnerable. You're not going to fall back into a habit. It looked after you. Do you know the amount of people that grow up that, that are hanging on to that insecurity and all they want in life is to find a mate that will, will protect them, make them, they don't feel vulnerable. The course is about saying, you've got that person already inside you. It's you. And you've got to strengthen it so that you can stand up for yourself. Everything good will follow. So that's a big thing, the memorization. Plus, we had a poem called The Invitation. And I asked them to memorize it. It's like taking your animus to the gym every day. You just keep saying it and you go, wow, yes, yes. And then the day is an opportunity, and it will show itself. It's a laboratory every day to use that animus to say something at a certain time. And can I also say that words matter? 
There's something about saying those quotes over and over and over. I don't know what the science is behind that, but words matter. And what we tell her, I guess it's what we tell ourselves, right? Yeah. The the man I studied with Alex Curtin for Parkinson's says, said that quote yesterday to a group of us that are working with him. And he said, words matter. And the reason that words matter is the thinking brain is sending messages to the body. The thinking brain only lives in the future or the past. The body lives in the present. So when we're sending negative thoughts to our body, it's experienced as survival syndrome, like an anxiety about something. The body's experienced like attack. So the the thinking brain is in the is in the future and the past. He worries about, Sarah, what's going to happen? Where, what's your house going to be? What if you can't pay for? What about, what are you going to do with your dogs? Yeah. What are you going to do? Oh my God, why did I do that two weeks ago? I should have right. said something. It's a brain that we actually want to learn to turn off because it's hurting our body because our body is taking the word seriously and will react. So if you're putting out a negative fear and anxiety, guess who's experiencing that? And that's where a lot of problems, disease, and issues come because we're not treating our body like a holy temple. Got it. I I don't want, I think they need to experience more of the dreams. I think people need to experience the dreams course with you. Um, but I wanted to give them that anima and animus because I think it's really, really powerful. But do you think that we could close, and you know I've been interested in this, but do you think we could close with what's like one or two things that Alex has been teaching you that you've applied? And I know I know, I asked you this last week, but one or two things that you're applying with Parkinson's that is good for list, for everybody to apply. That the mind, the mind is out of, the, the mind is something we have to learn to, to talk back to. That, that um, I said it the other day, when the homo sapien brain evolved into the new cortex brain, the mind fell in love with itself and created the ego. And the battle between the ego self and your spiritual self is real. And um, the six things that we didn't get to, but I could tell you briefly, are my way to do an antidote is the way the antidote to the uh, solving the conflict between the mind and the body. The mind, seldom, we, what we want is the mind to work with the body together. But that's often what doesn't happen. It tortures us and we react to it and then we get sick or then we get whatever. And so he's teaching me to meditate, but meditate to break my identification with thought. The thoughts are not me. They're tapes that play in my computer brain that I've learned over the years. And I have the power to say to those tapes, no more. I'm replacing you. And here are the six things I say, do every day and you will replace, uh, you will replace uh, the, the mind thinking. What is uh, breathe? I just read the uh, book Breath by John Nestor. And it's about without good breathing. Anxiety is shallow breathing. And so working on deep breathing, not in the morning and then at night, during the day when you're standing in line, breathe. 
Second thing is find beauty, find something beautiful to look at, whether it be pictures in a, you know, a Van Gogh book that you're looking at paintings, or you're looking at a sunset, but you're looking for beauty. Third is think creatively in all choices. Every choice you make, you can think uh, creatively. Fourth is dwell in gratitude. Five is serve the self, the higher self in you in relationships with others. Six is be inspired and inspire. And the seventh is laughter is an instant vacation. <laughs> now, for my dreamers, and I'm not kidding about what I'm saying to you, I asked them in an assignment to do all seven of those in one day. And why is that effective? Because it means when I walked down the street and saw there was garbage over my uh, elderly neighbors, I didn't look at it like what a pain in the ass. I looked at it like an opportunity to serve the self and others. Wow, I've got one done. <laughs> now, maybe I'll see some, something beautiful. I'm serving something other than my massive ego, which is in, 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 you, you, it's in what is the word? You, you can't satisfy. It's unsatisfiable. Yeah. If you get a 90 on a paper and you look next door, yes, thank you. If you get an A on a paper and the, next, the person next to you gets an A plus, you feel, you feel, you know, you didn't, something wrong with you. I know. That's the ego. But you stood, you stood up to it. So the course is really trying to strengthen the other sides of you, open you up to that, and live by serving them and not the external circumstances that we all have to deal with, but we don't have to be slaves to can we, can you give a close with like a dream that maybe, because I know so many people will be like, oh my God, I want Stephen to tell me what this dream means. Uh, okay. Can you give a dream example? I'm trying to think if I had one to give you. I had one that, uh, okay. that affected me. Um, I feel like we shared one uh, of yours last time though. Do you remember? Oh, I, yeah, I can't What's tell the, which one. I know which one. Well, okay, I, I, tell I, me. one. I don't know if I did the, the same one, but it doesn't hurt to hear this dream a second time, actually. Okay. Um, well, okay. I had this the other day. Okay. This is not conflict. This was coming out of the woods with Alex Curtin, who's my guru in Israel that I that I uh, FaceTime with and work with, and and he and I were walking out. And we came to this incredible, beautiful, endless meadow, as large, as far as you can see, one meadow. And both of us began to run. And we got faster and faster and lighter and lighter to almost I thought we were going to take off in flight. And then I woke. And I said to myself, that's a dream from my high self. That's a dream to remind me to keep working on my game because that's where I'm headed for. I'm headed for the meadow to run where I think I'm going to take flight. So I savored that dream. I, I locked it into my memory like I'm doing now to remind me that's the trip. Uh, one more thing I wanted to say to you for your listeners and stuff. I work on specific, when I do the course, I'm also 
in that hour interview, I work on something that specifically someone is going through an existential crisis of some sort. And there are many, many different types. And I use the course as a way to solve that basic problem. And I'll use parts of the course that are valid. And if I don't think they're valid, I won't. I won't make them just go through it unless they want to. But I'm looking to use the course as a tool to solve the current uh, stoppage or the, the, the whatever, the energy. Oh, I have to tell you one quick dream. And then I'll get off. No, I love this it. This is one of my dreamers. And this is a perfect example. The dreamer had has had over the years dreams of snakes coming at her. Snakes, horrible, reacting, and hates them, fears them. And we had a discussion, and I said, what were they doing? Well, they were coming at me. And I said, did you ever think that they're not coming after you, but they're coming to greet you, that they represent a part of your energy that you're not in contact with? And she said, what do you mean? I said, well, they're coming at you. Beauty and the Beast. Finally, she kissed the beauty, the snake, like a snake, the ugly beast, and he turned into the prince. You give her think this is energy that you're not in contact with because you put fear out there. So the following week, she had a dream. I gave her an assignment. <laughs> I think the assignment I gave her was to have a dialogue, to write a dialogue between her and the snake with the first question be to the snake, what do you want from me? <laughs> and she then the following came and had this <laughs> pretty amazing discussion with the snake. And she was pretty revved up. And I said, listen, nothing will happen yet with the snake till you kiss the snake. So we've now gone from running away from this that you've got to kiss that snake. And she had a dream the following week of kissing the snake. And when she did, she woke up with a sense of energy in her that she didn't have before. It's like, it's like she took the energy that had been blocked and put it into her she self and said, uh, she woke up like, like on fire. Arms, arms wide said, open. Yeah. So for, for me, and that's when the course ended kind of for us, uh, she was terrific. But I said to her, by the way, I think you should go see snakes. And if you have an opportunity to hold and touch one and kiss it on the forehead, I think then you'll be done forever. And so the, so the, the whole course moved into that one dream. And, it's, and in her evolution of the dream by talking to it and kissing it, um, she altered her, her understanding of snakes. Well, and, and that's that's why you've been encouraging me to do some sort of trip that um, scares the bejesus out of me. And yeah, safe, safe, not to risk your life. Oh, well, we've talked about it, and, I, and I'm going to take the cues from you, but what I said to you was you come out of a relationship and you just kind of muddle into life and then you, you're with your friends. And you work, or do you say, on your birthday, on your birthday, I'm going to do something that will announce the new, the animus in me. This is my chapter. And let people, yeah, look at when you come back, not only will you have stories to tell, which is good, like on, on the air, like we're doing, you'll meet people and you will have tested yourself. 
because uh, did, so I mentioned that I mentioned my mountain dream to you. I think the mountain thing I did, right? Did I do it last week where I climbed it in the middle of winter? And that moment I climbed it in winter, if I told you that. I know that story, I think, from your podcast, but I can't remember if you shared that or not. Let's share it because I did. I'll do it. I'll do it two minutes. And, and my, what I did for myself is what I'm asking you to do for yourself. I was going through a very bad time getting divorced, had a child involved, didn't have any work I knew, living in Vermont, uh, was studying psychology, and I was doing dream therapy with a remarkable woman named Elizabeth Forsberg in, in, uh, in Vermont. And I would drive down to Montpelier from Burlington. I always passed this beautiful mountain called the Couching Lion Camel Sump. And it's so dignified and it's got such, I don't know, it just catches the eye. And uh, I said to myself, somewhere in my voice said, you know, if you climb that mountain, everything would be okay. And I said, don't be an idiot. I'm not going to climb that mountain in the middle of winter. I don't know what you're talking about. And I drove forward. And then next week I saw it again. And the voice came back and said, you know, if you climb that mountain, everything will be okay. And this happened for another two weeks. And finally I said, I'm going to climb the mountain alone. So I packed up something, not very much, headed out on a cold, clear day to Camel Soap, nobody on the mountain. But I did see a little tiny cabin with smoke coming out of it. And I thought this would be smart to let them know I'm going up the mountain. So I opened the door, lovely wife and husband team. He was sick with emphysema, had been a jazz player. And I said, I'm going up the mountain. If I don't get down by three, could you notify someone? And he said, of course, and here's some snowshoes, and here's a trail book, and off I go. And it took me four hours. And the last 150 yards, I was crawling in 60-mile-an-hour winds to get to the top. And when I got to the top, I stood, and I put my hands out. All pictures I do, I always put my hands out, meaning like, I am alive. I'm alive. And I came down that mountain at the speed of light, had tea with them, and over the next four years, every season, like it was like my Mecca, I would climb camels up. Well, flash forward to 10 years later. By the way, I was not in show business. I was not doing any. I was starting to be a counselor. 10 years later, I'm in, I'm in Los Angeles. I'm on a TV show as an actor. I'm in a TV show set in Vermont. And I'm in a scene now where Bob Newhart is behind me talking to someone. I'm at a table and reading the paper, and then he comes up to me, and we talk, do a joke or two, and then that's the end of the scene. So they go, lights, camera. This is on, it's on camera. Lights, camera, action. I take the paper, which is the Daily Burlington Press. I pretend I'm reading it, and I come to the end, and there in the end is the obituary, is the announcement of my jazz player who had just died. The guy that was the, the folks that I visited. And I went, this is where that whole day led me. When I said, climb the mountain, everything would be okay. And now the final smiling of the spirits to send me his obituary while I'm in a scene set in Vermont, all maybe go the inner path is real and their inner path is funny. What a funny way to announce that to me. 
That's my mountain story. So when I came to you, all my dreamers do something that's going to make them stand and say, I am here. You didn't, I'm in a relationship. You didn't take me out. And what you do, whatever you do, and it can be whatever it's in your heart to do. I didn't, I didn't have it in my heart to climb camel's up, but I thought it was a beautiful mountain. But I also could have run into danger. I could have been hurt. But all my students, I say, make your stand so that you mark whatever you do as this chapter is over. And this woman that has just done whatever you're going to choose to do and to do it alone, which is not an easy thing to do, marks like this is this is me now yeah this is uh this is renewal yeah it's and i i I happen to think that some of the most incredible time of your life is about to unfold that you're what is a negative negative but i think that you're because i think you're put your you you know i just think you have a drive inside you and i think if you do something to mark that I think I think that's going to be a huge inner jump uh, because you're going to have so much faith in your in your so much confidence. Animus is confidence, and you have confidence, but I mean on a different level of confidence that will open new doors that aren't open to you right now. Do you what do you think um, is self love? Is that animus or anima, or is it both? Both working both working together as lovers. Oh, I dig that. We're going to close on that. That's a, that is a wrap. (laughs) We are a good team. Don't you think? Oh, we're a very good team. Yeah, we are. You know, the guy that I studied psychodrama under at the hospital only hired women who were intuitive and he was a genius too. And they all like one the female and the male principal. And when they ran a group, you were spellbound by what they would say and do together because they're taking all their strengths and merging. I'm always dying to take what I'm doing, like what we've been doing, and turn it also into some other kind of project. You know, it's like this stuff can give you the fuel to do some interesting things. Once, yes. you, once you get your... It's what is I, it? You have to, we have to earn it. I had to climb the mountain. I want you... I, I, and I, by the way, I have no, you know, if you don't do that, it doesn't matter. But I think I'm speaking to the part of you that also really would want to do it, not, oh, not the resistant part. I want to do it. It's maybe Mount Zion. Yeah. It's figuring out. Maybe Mount Zion. But I know that it's there. I just haven't yeah. discovered it yet. Yes. And when you do whatever it says, okay. And it will come to you or it will come to you from a stranger or someone will say, you know, I just came back from, and then you'll go, because if you're open to it, the universe will provide you with actually where you're meant to go. And in the meantime, you research, but you had it in your mind to do something on your birthday. Yeah. And I think that instinct, I think that instinct is right. And that gives you enough time to figure what that is. Yeah. All right. Well, um, thank you for being on the show. Thank you for inviting me again. Seriously, I love doing this with you. It's the best. I want to thank everyone behind the scenes, especially Adrian Donica and the team at Gwyn Sound. 
Also, please find us on social media outlets at Fail Forward Pod.